Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. That the churches represent the church age uh, history throughout the church age. Then we are living now in what is called the Laodicean church age. And you will see that after today, there's probably a lot of similarities to uh, the Laodicean church and our church today. You will find it very interesting as we begin to look through this. Let's read together verses 14 through 22, and then we're going to begin to break this down a little bit for you this morning. Begin in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, some of you have translations that may say, I will spit you out of my mouth or I will spew you out of my mouth. And, and, but the word here, the strong word is vomit. Verse 17, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And as many as I, as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, let me read that again, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, and I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, these seven churches that here are in Asia Minor, they're in modern Turkey, There's seven literal churches. The Lord gave them a message. And in these seven churches, the Lord is giving us a message through these churches this morning. Not only a message for River Valley Community Church, but a message for you individually and for me individually. These seven churches speak to us in three different ways. One, they speak to us prophetically. The prophecy of the church age or the, or the churches is that all of these churches speak to us prophetically from Ephesus to Laodicea, from the church at Ephesus who lost, uh, whose love had been waning and growing cold all the way to the church of Laodicea who became lukewarm and their love was cold. If we want to see what the church is going to be like, we need to look at these seven churches and we get a prophetic picture of what the church age is going to be like. You will see that in these seven churches, you will see that there is a prophetic voice that speaks to them about the church age. But not only do they speak to us prophetically, but they speak to us practically. There isn't a problem that any of these churches faces 
that we do not see addressed in these seven churches that we do not see being addressed in churches today. They're very practical. In other words, the problems that are, we see in these seven churches, we can easily see throughout the churches of this hour. They speak to us powerfully. Verse uh, Chapter 3 and verse 22, the very last verse I read to you. It says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Listen, the Holy Spirit is asking you this morning, if you have an ear, listen to what the Spirit of God is saying this morning. For he is speaking to us. In other words, put aside all of the distractions that come into our mind. Men, put aside all the business dealings and all the problems that come. Put aside where we're going to spend lunch today and the latest distractions. We need to hear what the Spirit of God has to say to us. We need to put away Instagram, Snapchat, and all those that are cool that are on there. And let us hear what God wants us to hear. Let Him hear. In other words, God will hold you responsible for what the Holy Spirit is speaking in this hour, not only will he hold you responsible for what he is speaking, he will also hold you responsible for what you would have heard if you had listened. And so it speaks to us powerfully that the Holy Spirit is speaking in this age, but it also speaks to us personally. This is not just God's, not just what God has said, When we read of these seven churches, we are seeing what God is saying in this hour. We are living in the church age. These scriptures are telling us what God is speaking to us even in this hour and at this moment which we live. This is not what God is generally saying. God is specifically saying these things to us this morning. He who has an ear, let him hear. Not just to the church, but to us individually. The church is made up of individuals. So we need to open our ears and our minds and our hearts and our eyes this morning to hear the message of what God is beginning to speak to us this morning. And overall, I believe this is what the theme of all seven of these churches are that we can take away from this morning. And I want to encourage you. We need to know in this hour If we are living in the Laodicean church age, if we are living in the hour of lukewarmness, then we need to keep our spiritual fire burning this morning and not allow lukewarmness to overshadow us or overtake us this morning. I find great encouragement in Revelation chapter 1. We see a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ standing in the midst of of the seven golden candlesticks. These seven golden candlesticks represent the light of the world, which is the church. It is a picture of him standing in the midst of the church. Verse 13 of chapter 1 says, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Verse 16, he had in his right hand the seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. The seven stars represent And the seven messengers or the seven angels that spoke the message to each of these churches, he stand in the midst of the candlesticks, which is a picture of him standing in the midst of the church. 
So that tells us one thing. The Bible tells us that where two or three have gathered, Jesus is in the midst of it. And I want you to know this morning, Jesus is here today. He is here. Jesus is here. He is in the midst of his church. One lady called a church one time and she said, she called and she said, I heard the president of the United States is going to be at your church. I wanted to call and see if I could get a seat. He said, no, what you heard was a rumor. The president will not be here. And in a dejected voice, she said, oh, okay, thank you. But he said, but, but Jesus, who's the king of kings and Lord of lords, will be here this morning. And so we want to know he is here this morning. In other words, would you sing different? Would you act different if he was here in the flesh this morning, sitting beside you, right beside you? Would you respond differently if you knew that he physically was in the room and you could see him? I guarantee your worship would be different. Your actions would be different. Huh? Come on, y'all. Come on. You would be different. Why? But let me say, he's closer to you right now than the person that is sitting next to you. He's closer than the person that's in front of you. Why? Because he lives inside of you. He is closer to you than what you could ever imagine this morning. Why? Because he is here this morning. And we see this picture of the Lord in chapter 1 in the midst of the candlesticks, which represent the churches. It represents the seven churches. It is a picture of the Jewish menorah. It is a picture that Jesus is in the midst of the Jewish menorah. Now, the menorah was, was interesting in the temple. It was six foot high. It was solid gold. It was... Uh, uh, it was, it was, it weighed a hundred pounds. It had in each brass, uh, branch, it had over 70 ornaments on each one. It was hollowed out at the top so that it could be, uh, filled with oil, that it could be lit, that it could be burning. Josephus said that, that these seven branches were, were full, the shafts were solid gold. They were beautiful. And, uh, and, uh, and once a day, they would be filled, in the temple, they would be filled with oil and lit every day in the temple. They would be replenished every day, relit every day. Every day, they would be relit. Every day, they would be put new oil. The oil, it would hold oil for just enough for one day. But every day, the high priest would come in. And the high priest in the morning, before the gates would open, before the temple doors would open, and he would replenish the oil that was in the uh, menorah's uh, branches, and he would light, light it again. He would clean them. He would light them. He would make sure that they were lit, that they stood lit, and that they were constantly being cared for, constantly being cared to. Can I tell you this morning, the picture of Jesus as our high priest in Revelation chapter 1 with the linen garments walking in, tending, standing in the midst of the candlesticks that represent the seven churches. Do you realize each day he is cleaning, he is putting oil in, he is relighting, he is caring for the light of the church so the light of the church will not go out in this age. Hallelujah. Come on, he's in the midst of his church today. He's caring for it. He's filling it with oil. He's relighting it again. How many are thankful that he's, he's, he's allowing us to be the light of the world? 
He's in the midst of the church. He's in the midst of the church. The Bible tells us in Revelation 1.18 that he holds the five stars that are in his hand, which represent the messengers of those churches. Revelation 2 talks about the angels of the churches. They're the same thing. They're the stars, they're the angels. They hold them in his hand. He holds the messengers in his hand. Those that preach the gospel, he holds in their hand. He holds them there. And you know what's interesting is that I told you at the beginning of this study, John is full of imagery. And he uses imagery throughout this book. And if you understand the imagery, you'll understand the revelation of what's happening here that John is speaking of. But did you know that Jesus and the imagery of Jesus standing there with the five stars in his hand, that that not only was representation of the messengers, it was a representation of God's sovereignty, that he was in control of all things. In other words, John had a way of mocking uh, uh, the current day uh, uh, leadership. I told you Domitian hated him. Domitian tried to boil him in oil, but when he wouldn't die, he become frustrated. He tried to kill him, but he wouldn't die. How many know God's on your side when the world tries to kill you, but you won't die? He got so mad at him, he, he vanquished him to the island of Patmos. The island of Patmos, a hundred years earlier, was declared the island of the messengers of the God. It was, the, it was called the island of Hermes. It was where the messengers of the gods were. And here God, here Domitian, Domitian couldn't kill John. He sends him to Patmos, and John becomes the revelator who begins to speak the word of God, the only one true God on the island of the gods. Isn't that just like God? And so here we see Jesus holding five stars in his hand. I've got a Roman coin at home that was given to me by David Jones. And, and I wanted to bring it this morning, but I just forgot. I left it on my desk. It is a small coin. On the front of it is the Emperor Domitian. It is a real Roman coin. The Emperor Domitian. On the other side is, is Domitian's son, uh, who he declared as a god, who sat on the planet Jupiter, which was a representation of God, Jupiter, who sits on Jupiter and has 12 stars around it. In other words, what Domitian was saying is, I'm the ultimate God, but here is my son who sits on Jupiter and holds the 12 stars, uh, the seven stars of the world in his hand. But here John says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm telling you there's one that holds the whole world in his hands, that holds the message to the whole world in his hands. And there's, where's one that, that John said this, though, though he's not dead, he's not dead, but he's alive. Your son is dead, but this son lives forevermore and holds the answer to all humanity in his hands. And I'm telling you, the world is not on a coin, but the world will know that Jesus Christ came and has dominion over all the earth. Woo! Isn't that good? I'm telling you, God is smart. He's smarter than we, than we know he is or even believe that he is. But the Lord daily would go in and trim the lampstand as he is in the midst of the church. He is there. He is in the midst. Look at verse 14. It said, and the angel of the church of Laodicea write these things, saith who? The amen. Saith who? The amen. By reading that, we know that Jesus is what? He's the factual one. Amen means this. It means it is so. 
He is the amen. He doesn't, he's not, he, he not just says it, he is it. He is the factual one. It says he is the amen. He is also, it says, the faithful and true witness. The faithful and true witness. How many know Jesus is not only the, the factual one, but he is the faithful one. In other words, he will do whatever he says he is going to do. Then it says he is the author of all creation, the beginning of creation of God, which means he is the forceful one. He is the one that created all things and is sovereign over all things, over everything he is sovereign. In other words, it means that when he would speak it, it would come into existence. In the book of Genesis, when he would speak life, it would come, to come forth. When he would speak, it would forcibly break through and come forth. He is the one of all creation. He is the factual one. He's the faithful one. John is just revving up and letting the church know, listen, you need to watch who you serve. Your lukewarmness, you've forgotten that he's faithful. You've forgotten that he's the amen. You've forgotten that he's the creator of all things. We should never forget his faithfulness. We should never forget that he is the ultimate uh, sovereign of all the world. Hallelujah. In other words, when he would speak, it was like, let God be. Let God be. Let God be. I'm telling you, the lukewarm church has stopped letting God be. Stop letting God be who he says he is. The candlelight has burned out. Did you know when the high priest would go into the temple? Do you know of the seven churches that of five of those churches Jesus gave a rebuke to? But there were two churches that Jesus commended. There were five that he rebuked and there were two that he commended. He commended the church at Philadelphia. He commended the church at Smyrna. He said, your, your persecution and your faithfulness, they're in persecution. He commended the church at Philadelphia and commended them. Did you know when the priest would go into the temple and he would go into the holy place, that is where the menorah was. Why? Why was the menorah there? Why was it in the holy place? Why was it in the middle court? Because that is the place of service. It's in the place of service. Where does the church need the burn that's light the most? It's in the place of service. It's in the place of the showbread. It's in the place of the altar of incense. It's in the place where the activity of the priest would take place. It's in the place where there needed to be illumination, where there needed to be lights. And he would burn the candelabra, and this is how they would do it. This is how they would light and how they would clean. There was, a, there was a rule that the priest could not let light go out of the holy place. So you know what they would do? How, they, how would they clean it then? If the lights didn't go out, how would they clean the menorah? Well, I'll tell you how they'd do it. They, what happened was they would take two of the seven and they would leave them burning. And five would burn out. And he would clean them. And then once he re-oiled them, once he relit them, then he would do the other two. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, who's in the midst of the churches, of the church age, there were two churches that he commended and said that your candle will not burn out. But there were five who said that if you do not change and overcome, your light will be smitten out. Isn't that interesting to know that? So we have Jesus in the midst of the church. We have Jesus in the midst of the church. I want to talk a bit to you today, and I want to talk a little bit about lukewarmness. I want to talk to you a little bit, a couple things about lukewarmness. First of all, number one, I want to talk about the curse of lukewarmness 
of lukewarm Christianity. The curse of lukewarm Christianity. Now listen, Laodicea was a church that was interesting. You've heard all your life that God, he said that I would have that you be not cold nor hot, right? He said, because you have been lukewarm, I have spewed you out of my mouth. You have been spewed out of my mouth. This is interesting about the city of Laodicea. The city of Laodicea was really, many writers spoke to them that they were a city that lived a life of ease. They were a city that, that was known for its relaxation and its ease, its life of ease. But here's what made the, the city of Laodicea vulnerable. Because the water source made them vulnerable to attack. The way that you could overcome the city of Laodicea is that they had their, their water source was not in the city, but it had to be brought into the city. So they had built underground aqueducts that would run into the city of Laodicea. And these water aqueducts would be as long as four, five, six miles. The ones all the way to Hyopolis were ten miles away. And what happened was is that if you wanted to conquer this city, all you had to do was get rid of the waterway. I'm here to tell you the way you overcome the church in this hour is get rid of the flow of the living springs of water of life that is in Christ Jesus. And we have made, we have allowed the water flow of the anointing of the rivers of living water that flow in the church we have allowed them to become lukewarm, and they become useless. Well, how did they get lukewarm? How did they become lukewarm? What, what made them lukewarm? Now, Jesus said this in verses 15 and 16. He said that, that I will spew thee out of my mouth. I will vomit you. It's the word emetic. The English word emetic, it means, that it means to cause regurgitation. In other words, there is a sin that nauseates God, the sin of lukewarmness. This sin of lukewarmness, the state of being a little too cold to be hot and a little too hot to be cold. A little too cold to boil, but yet not too hot to, or too hot to freeze. In other words, who is Jesus speaking here to? See, there were two cities that were uh, tri-cities around Laodicea. One was Colossa and one was Hyopolis. Colossa was a city that was known for its cold springs. It had cold springs. They would travel there. It was four to six miles away. They would get cold water, refreshing water. They would aqueduct it down into the city. The problem was by the time that it left Colossa and got to Laodicea, it was already lukewarm. It wasn't good for anything. Hyopolis was what was called the place of hot springs. Laodicea, part of that city was that it was a place of relaxation, rejuvenation, and refreshing. They had ISABs. It was a medical center for the region. And people would come there for healing. And what happened is they tried to aqueduct the healing springs of Hyopolis down into Laodicea. But what happened was is by the time the water would come all the way from Hyopolis and get down to Laodicea, it would be lukewarm. There were times the aqueducts would mix in the cold water. The fresh water would mix with the, cold spr the hot springs of healing minerals and they would mix, and the water would taste awful, and it was good for nothing. It was a city that had a waterway that was useless. It had a city that had a waterway that was not any good. And though it ran through the middle of the city, though it was there, there were times the water 
was not cold for refreshing. There were times the healing springs were not able to heal. That's the lukewarm church where we've let the refreshing of the Word of God, the refreshing of church, the refreshing of the Bible, the cold drink that a world needs, we've let it go lukewarm. We've allowed the healing powers of the Holy Spirit and the, and, the, and, the, and the comfort that comes with Jesus, we've allowed it to grow lukewarm. A lukewarm church is a church that becomes useless because it's neither hot nor is it cold. It's useless. That's what John is dealing with here at this church. Now, who is Jesus speaking to here? He's not speaking, he's not speaking to the sinner, to the atheist, to the agnostic, to the God-hater, These aren't cold people. They're dead people. Listen, they're dead. The Bible said that you once were dead in your trespasses and sin. They're not cold. They're dead. So who is he speaking to? He's speaking to those who are not hot nor cold. He's speaking to those that don't have the fervor of the zeal of the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in them. And he's talking about those who refuse to be a fresh wind and a fresh, refreshing breath of comfort to those who need a cold drink. What did Paul say about Onesphorus? He said, for Onesphorus would visit me when I was in my chains. And the Bible said, Paul said, he often what? He often refreshed me. He was a cold drink to a prisoner like Paul who needed refreshing in an hour when the heat of persecution was upon his life. I'm here to tell you that we need to relight the fire of the lukewarm church again. And we need to become a fresh drink and a cool drink to those who are starving and need a fresh touch. And we need to be healing and refreshing and a fire to those who need something more than what this world offers them. Hallelujah. 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 He's talking to the lukewarm Christian this morning. How do you know if you're lukewarm? How do you know? My grandmother used to say, that Christians that are lukewarm are like dirty dishwater that gone cold. That's what she'd say. That's how she referred to Christians that were lukewarm. She'd say, oh, they're just like dirty dishwater. You ever do dishes and come back and try, and all of a sudden you're dishwashing? Well, you all have dishwashing machines. Now, there's no such thing as that anymore. But the dishwater would be cold, and you'd have to empty the dishwater and redo it and make it hot again. In other words, some Christians are like dishwater Christians. There's a half-heartedness about them. They lost their youthfulness. Now listen, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings this morning, but, it, but let's just be honest. We're living in an hour when, when we know there is a lukewarmness about the body of Christ. When we know there is a lukewarmness, and I'm telling you, there may even be some lukewarmness even in this fellowship. Jesus, help us. How do you know if you're lukewarm? How does it manifest in your life? Let me just give you a couple of things about lukewarmness. And you measure yourself. You measure the word of God through your own life this morning. Number one, how do we know? Do you have an indifference about personal holiness and sanctification? You know, people think that the opposite of love is hate. That's not true. The opposite of love is not hate. What the opposite of love is? Indifference. That is the opposite of love. Someone who doesn't love 
is indifferent to someone else. They become indifferent. Are you indifferent? Lukewarmness. Are you indifferent to personal holiness and sanctification this morning? I know holiness is an old-fashioned word. And, and I know that it's, it's, it's an old word. But how many of you can say, Pastor, I long for holiness in my life. I long and passion for holiness in the midst of my heart. In my heart. Jesus said this in Mark 7. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in vain, they worship me. But they teach the doctrines of the commandments of men. In other words, they were lukewarm. Their lips were far from him. Where are you today with him? How do you worship today? today? We need a return back to the pursuit of holiness in our lives. Would you not agree? We need a pursuit of holiness in the church, in the body of Christ, to dispel the lukewarmness. Okay, let me meddle just a minute. In other words, we see someone and we say, hey, it's good to see you. You didn't mean that. Because when they walk away, you gossip about them and you run them down and you tear them up. Now you may not, <laughs> you may not steal, but you, you'll rob God of his tithe. You may not steal, but you, don't, but you don't pay your debts. You may not commit adultery, but you'll laugh and participate in filthy, dirty jokes and entertain and entertain yourself with the videos and TV of sexuality on TV that is far beyond what should be watched by a believer. We don't curse, but we'll, we'll have a critical spirit on someone's life. Are we indifferent to the things that are holy? Listen, have we pursued holiness again? That, listen, if we want to break lukewarmness in our lives, we have to pursue holiness. Two, there has to be, we cannot be indifferent if you're indifferent towards serving others. How many of us look to the place that we serve in the body of Christ and we look at it and we think of it as though that what, how we are serving, that there are people whose lives depend on heaven and hell, whose lives are in the balance. Do we weep over our assignment? Do we cry over what God calls us to do? Or is it just an obligation or is it your passion? How you serve, is it just an obligation or is it your passion? Is there, is there, is there another generation that will rise up and not know the Lord? Or are those who are willing to serve and willing to make sure the gospel is mentioned and given out to all who need to hear the gospel? In other words, are you indifferent to how and when you serve and how you serve? Do you pray? Do you witness concerning the unsaved? I heard a preacher tell me one time, he was telling me a story of being in, in seminary. He said that while he was in seminary that, that they were teaching this public speaking class in seminary. And they said, well, when you preach, and I've been through these classes, they're called preaching classes, I had one. They teach you how to preach. They teach you how to use your arms and how to speak and how to, you know, how to act right. They even told me that if a preacher will wear a blue shirt, He'll get more converts. <laughs> That's why Charles Stanley always wears a blue shirt. Seriously. If you wear a blue shirt, they say, I don't know what the reason was. But they teach you how to talk specifically and, not, and use your words elegantly and the right mannerisms and the right thing. And 
and, and all those things. I've been, I, I, I mean, I, we had a class. You had to get up and preach, and you had a, an outline you had to keep with, and they would measure your effectiveness based upon how you delivered your message. <laughs> well, I didn't do well. But anyway, but, but this preacher said he was in the class, and he said he was in the class, and there was this older black gentleman that was in the class, and he raised his hand. He said, Professor, I hear what you're saying. He said, but when I get up to preach, there's just something else that gets a hold of me. Listen, we've got to be the day when we stop trying to be something that God has not made us, but allow the Holy Spirit to get a hold of us and let the fire of God flow through us and not give in to the lukewarm hour that is being spoken of in the day we live in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A friend of mine posted today, I thought it was interesting, I'm going to repeat it. He said, Mario Murillo said this, he said, preachers used to be agents of change. Now they all have agents and no one has changed. Is that not the hour we live in? Three, if you, if you worship, if your worship isn't spirit-filled, you might be lukewarm. If your worship isn't, listen, it's not all about perfect pitch, which I wouldn't have not know if it wasn't. It's not about getting every word right. It's not, it's, it's, listen, it's about singing in the Spirit. It's about singing with the passion of God. How is your worship this morning? How do you worship God this morning? Does the Scripture give us instruction on how we are to worship in the Spirit this morning? Why, absolutely. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. And do not be drunk with wine, and which is this, the, uh, this dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Listen, it's what comes next. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with singing and making a melody of the heart to the Lord. How are we to worship? We're to have Spirit-filled worship. Lukewarm worship is dead, cold, never moves no one to, to, towards Christ. There's never a tear. There's never gladness. There's never urgency. There's never feeling behind doing it. I'm here to tell you that we need to have spirit-filled worship. It'll break lukewarmness in our life. Indifference, the lack of hunger for Scripture. I'm telling you, there's a need in an hour. There needs to be a hunger for Scripture. There's a lukewarmness in Scripture. <laughs> Listen, we know the Bible. We can't just believe the Bible in general. We have to believe the Bible specifically. See, people know the Bible generally, but do you know it specifically? In other words, the Word of God is a log on the heart that the Spirit-filled life sets ablaze. The average Christian has never read through the Bible. Never read through the Bible. They don't even know all the books of the Bible. They, can't, they wouldn't know. Some of them they've never heard of or even known. So I won't embarrass you this morning by asking you to turn to the book of Hezekiah. <laughs> okay, that went over well. You got it. I was on the street preaching one time and I had a guy come up to me. He said, man, I go to church. He said, man, I read that book, Philip 66. I said, <laughs> don't say anything else. You don't have to say nothing else. 
You realize you could read the Bible in 10 months if you read four chapters a day? Listen, the Word of God. Listen, we spend more time listening to the news than we do reading the Bible. We spend more time on Instagram, on Facebook, spend more time reading everybody else's story. We spend more time reading those things that we don't believe than we do reading those things we do believe. We spend time on TikTok. Listen, y'all need to get off TikTok. I'm not on it, but I've seen what's on it. And if you got TikTok, you need to get rid of TikTok. That's gone over well. And so the scripture, indifference in prayer. You know the average Christian prays 10 minutes a week. 10 minutes a week. That's Barna research. 10 minutes a week. We've lost the spirit of intercession because of lukewarmness. When was the last time God woke you up at night to pray and intercede for someone who was in need? When was the last time you prayed through and tarried till there was breakthrough that happened? Brother Keith calls it, says, you sometimes you just got to pray through the ceiling. And there are times we need to learn how to pray through the ceiling, but lukewarmness won't pray, for the, pray through the ceiling. I'm telling you, the devil looks at the modern church today and he laughs and he mocks. He looks at the Laodicean church and says, you can have your buildings, you can have your programs, you can have your classes and sound systems and all the things, the technology, the live streams, the organization, the staffs, the green rooms, the fog machines, you can have them all. As long as you don't leave out the power of the Almighty God that comes through the earnest, persistent prayer of the Holy Ghost, listen, he'll allow us to have everything. But listen, he's afraid when a church begins to pray and fervently through the fire of the Holy Spirit of God. When you pray, when your prayer life is lukewarm and you live an indifferent Christian life, the effects that that has on you is this, is that good becomes a substitute for the best. We settle for what's good instead of for God's best. Lukewarm Christians settle for what's good instead of what God's best. We do that in many areas of our life because of the lukewarmness of our life. We're indifferent to sacrifice. We're indifferent to soul winning. We're indifferent to sacrifice and what sacrifice costs us. Adrian Rogers said it like this. He said, prayer, he said, prayer without fat, we have prayer without fasting, we have giving without sacrifice, we have witnessing without tears, and, and no wonder we have sowing without reaping. In other words, he was right. We've lost passion for soul winning. What about your neighbor who's doomed, who don't know Jesus, who you know is going to hell? What about souls? It's about souls, it's about souls, it's about souls, it's about souls this morning. The lukewarm says this, Jesus, I believe in, but you just don't excite me. That's the lukewarm Christian. I believe in Jesus, but he just doesn't excite me. You know what it means? It means that you yawn at God. The lukewarm life is a life that yawns at God, that's willing to yawn at God. The harm of the lukewarm life is indifference, and that indifference sets us up for other sins. Listen, the lukewarm life also becomes an alibi for the sinner. It gives the sinner an alibi. He doesn't believe what he's preaching, so why should I believe what he's preaching? It's an alibi to the sinner. The lukewarm life is, the sinner looks at the lukewarm life and says, 
and says, why should I be like them? They don't look happy. They don't look joyous. They don't look like they have breakthrough. Why should I believe in the God that they confess when they themselves live a lukewarm life? It because I don't want to be an alibi for the unbeliever. I don't want to be an alibi for the unbeliever. G. Campbell Morgan said this, lukewarmness is the worst form of blasphemy. And so number one, there's the curse of lukewarmness. What is the cause of lukewarmness? Look at verse 17 and 18. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do, not, and do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? I counsel you to buy, to buy from me refined gold in the fire that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that your shame and your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may be able to see. What is the cause? Look what it said. Because thou sayest and do not know. Because thou sayest and do not know. In other words, Their indifference was caused by the fact that they were ignorant to their own need. They didn't even know what it was that they needed. They were blind to their own need. They could not even see what they they knew. Their greatest need was to see their greatest need. Lukewarm Christians is the last ones to know that they are lukewarm Christians. That's why some of you are like, I wonder who he is speaking to this morning. God may be speaking to you. There is none so blind that those who refuse to see. There is none that are so deaf than those that have refused to hear. pastor one time was preaching in his congregation. And every, every, every Sunday, a man would come out. And he'd say this to the pastor. He'd say, Pastor, boy, you really let them have it today. He'd say it every Sunday. And the pastor would say, I knew there were times I was preaching that he's the one that needed it. So he remembers one cold winter, nobody showed up for church but just this feller. And it was just him. The preacher said, I got him today. He won't be able to say it today. And he preached and preached and preached. After the service, the man came to the back. He said, boy, preacher, I'll tell you what. If they had been here today, you really would have told them. Sometimes lukewarm Christians are the last one to realize that they're lukewarm. He said, I counsel thee. You know Laodicea was famous for three things. They were famous for wool, their wealth in gold. They were a medical center. They have salves and ointments, but mostly for the blind. And so, and so God said, listen, you're rich. You have many garments. You have need of nothing. He said, but the one thing that you need, I counsel you, you need a refining of the fire of God. You need a holy fire. In other words, the complacency and satisfaction of lukewarmness began gradually. I mean, when we look at the seven churches, we see all kinds of conditions But it all started when Ephesus began to lose its first love. It began to progressively diminish. It progressively began to diminish. The average church is so lukewarm that you have to backslide in order to have fellowship. 
if you really let if you really let the fire of God come upon you, you're considered odd or strange. You're lukewarm because you always assume you're all right. You're always assuming that everything's okay. And what happens is you begin to cool off by degrees. You begin to get cooler and cooler and cooler in your Christian walk. And all of a sudden, you wake up one day and you realize you don't love Jesus like you used to love him. You didn't have the fire that you used to love him with. Number three, and I'm going to close with this. Pastor Adam, if you'll come. The cure for lukewarmness, for lukewarm Christianity He gave us the cure. He said this in verse 18. He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. White remnants, white garments that you may be clothed that your shame and nakedness may not be revealed. And to anoint your eye with salve that you may be able to see. He said that you, first of all, he said you need to be refined in the fire. In other words, you need to be, you need to be uh, refined by the fire of God, the trying, the impurity. The fire of God brings up the impurities in our life. It brings the dross out of our life. There's a fire of God that hits our life that brings the richness of God in our life. It purifies what God has put in us and brings an authenticity to our life. There's an internal cleansing that comes by the fire of God. And when the fire of God hits our life, all the dross that is in our life comes to the top, and that which remains is pure. He says, buy. You need to come and buy. Let the fire of God purify your life, that your internal life may be different than what it is now. How do you fight lukewarmness? You let the fire of God come on the inside and purify And pull out everything that keeps you from being pure from God. Help us, Lord Jesus. He said this. He said, that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. He said, you need to buy the white garments that you may be clothed. In other words, you need garments of righteousness. Now, here's what's different. That in Laodicea, their wool was black. It was black wool. But God says, you know, the black wool covers up, the black wool covers up your sinfulness, but the white wool is righteousness. In other words, it's representative of, of, of your deeds. Righteousness has to do with our deeds, what we do, how we live, how we talk, where we go. It's about our genuine faith. What are you clothed with this morning? If you're clothed with the righteousness of God, your deeds will be right. Your deeds will be towards God. Your deeds won't lead you in the places you're not supposed to be and with people you're not supposed to be. It won't lead your eyes to places it's not supposed to go. There'll be a fire that comes in you, and then you'll be clothed with the righteousness of God. And then your acts will be acts of love and acts of kindness and acts of sincerity. You'll worship God out of a passion and not an obligation. There'll be a passion and fire that comes in you to serve and to do it with all diligence and to love what you do. 
to give a plate of food with joy, to give a cold water with, 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 with urgency, to share Jesus with fire in your eyes and an urgency that hell and heaven is on the balance. He said, put on raiment this morning. Put on raiment. Put on righteousness this morning. Because the black raiment that you have on has exposed who you are. Your nakedness has been exposed. How many of you have heard the story of Hans Christian Andersen? The story of the emperor's clothes. Y'all, y'all heard that story? Where the cheat and cunning men who pretended to be tailors, they said to the king, we have woven for you a beautiful garment. Here, king, put the garment on. And it was nothing. It wasn't clothes. And the king took off his old clothes and put on the, the garments that were not there and began to walk through the streets naked. And no one dared to tell the king he was naked. The king put on nothing. He walked through the streets. Only the ignorant could not see he didn't have clothes on. And he walked through the streets talking about his clothes and the remnants of his clothes. And no one would admit that the king didn't have any clothes on. We're living in an hour when nobody will admit the church is lukewarm. It's naked. It's lost its fire. It's lost its resiliency. It's lost its passion. It's Laodicean. Jesus is coming soon. There's no urgency to win the loss. There's no urgency to win your family. We walk around naked saying we're full of everything, but you have nothing. Oh, we have buildings. We have lights. We have, we have, we have all the things that it makes the comfort of Christianity. But do we have the fervor and fire of the Holy Ghost? That brings change. That brings change. What good is it to give a Thanksgiving basket if you don't give Jesus with it? What good is it to put a coat on a guy's back if you don't give him Jesus and say Jesus is the warmth that you need? What good is it to stand with Black Lives Matter and yet not talk about that Jesus loves all nations, all tongues, all tribes, all people? Huh? What good is it this morning? The king walked around naked and didn't know he was naked. But he was a king. The Bible says that we are great, we are joint heirs with Christ. Do you know what that means this morning? Do you know what it means to be a joint heir with Jesus? That we are seated with him in heavenly places. <laughs> Come on, somebody get that revelation. We have a crown on our head, but we're naked as a church. He was a king that had all authority, but he walked around. He had nothing to offer, and everybody knew he had nothing but him. And I'm telling you, the world is somewhat looking at the church, and the church thinks it's got something, when really, we're really naked because we're not offering the world anything but lukewarmness. We become an alibi for them to continue to sin. I don't know if I'm making sense this morning. But a little boy walked up to him one day out of audacity and said to the king, you all know the story? He's altogether naked since the day he was born. Is what the little boy said. 
He said, you got to buy white remnant. you gotta, you got you to buy gold that has been tried in the fire. How many are thankful for your Christian life? How many are thankful for your trials? How many are thankful for what you've walked through? That's more, you got more wealth than money could ever give you. You know why? Because what you learn through the fire of faith means more to you than what you could ever get in your wallet or in your bank. Jesus said, this is the fire. This is the gold that you buy. This is what you buy. Because it's the fire of trial, the fire of going through with your faith that builds in you a richness that can never be taken away. It's a gold that is tried by fire. You walk through it long enough, you won't be lukewarm. I'm telling you, people tell me all the time, yeah, you know, why you believe in God? Why you believe? I'll tell you why I believe in God, because he was there with me through the fire. He was there through, with me through times that I could not help myself. God helped me. And I want to tell you, there was a fire that built in me. That I'll never deny him. I'll never deny him all my life. Hallelujah. And he said, you need to purchase ISAF that you maybe see. We all know what this is. There's a lack of understanding and spiritual truth in our day. I'm telling you, we see it just by the way people act. Spiritually. But he'll turn our darkness into light. He'll take what we cannot see and that we can see. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. Nor can he know them, nor can he understand them. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? But I'm telling you, a lukewarm Christian is just as blind. A lukewarm Christian doesn't see the things of the Spirit and walks by everything the Spirit of God is saying. He says, you need to buy ISAB. You need to buy the eyes of your understanding need to be opened. I'm telling you, lukewarmness is a devastating thing. It's a devastating thing to the last day's church. Our greatest command is to love God with all of our heart. Isn't that not what the New Testament says? To love your Lord, Lord thy God with all your heart, might, soul, and strength. Is that not what it says? So if the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, wouldn't it not be common sense that the greatest sin would be not to love God without all your hearts? He's got some of you, but does he have all of you? He's got your Sunday morning, but does he have your prayer life? He's got your, he's got your, he's got your showing up for fellowships, but does he have your reading of scripture and your time with him? Is there a lukewarmness that flows through your life? Is there a vein of lukewarmness? Is there a vein of uh, a fountain that runs through your life that is useless? You can't drink out of it because it's not hot, nor is it cold. I don't want, I don't want a vein to run through our church. I don't want a stream to run through that's not healing and not refreshing to those that drink from it. We should all want anyone who comes, anyone who wills, to come and drink from the fountain of life that is in this fellowship. That their thirst may be quenched. That satisfaction may be found in Jesus and not in a preacher or not in a program, but in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do I love him? Here's the question. Here's the last lukewarm test. Do you love him less today than you have at any other time in your Christian walk? If so, 
you've dropped a few degrees. Maybe lukewarmness is setting in. That convicted me this week. Because when I got saved, I was preaching everything that moved. Dogs, cats, people. I had a fervor that I wasn't going to let no one put out. But then I got smart and lukewarmness started setting in. God said this is the condition of the average church in the last day. Stand with me this morning. Verse 20 says this. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and goes and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. Some of y'all, it says sup with. Is that what not some of your scriptures say? What is Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying he, he comes and he knocks on the door and he comes in. He says, come and eat with me. Come and sup with me. Come and eat. It's representative in scriptures, the last meal of the day. Come and have dine with me. Come and eat with me at the last hour before darkness falls. It's the meal before darkness. It's the meal before darkness falls. It's the meal before everything becomes dark. What Jesus is saying is he's knocking on the heart of not just the sinner. We know that. But he's knocking on the heart of the believer. He's knocking on the heart of the church at Laodicea in the last hour. He's knocking on the door and he says, come and eat with me before the darkness of the night comes. Come and eat the last meal with me. Come and partake of a meal that I have offered. Quit eating off of things that have left you unsatisfied, but eat off of the table which I have prepared. Hallelujah. He said to him who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. Each church had a, had a promise of overcoming. Each church. Each church had its own issues. Ephesians lost their first love. Pergamos holding to false doctrine. Tyra Tyra was seduced by a Jezebel spirit. Sardis let the people begin to spiritually die. Laodicea was a lukewarm church. All of them had conditions. Conditions which we now battle in the church today. But the overcomer can have the tree of life. Will not be hurt by the second death. Will have hidden manna. Have power over nations. Will be dressed in white in the book of life. Will be a pillar in the temple. Will sit on God's throne. My call and question for you this morning is, We can't let the fire of God burn out in our lives this morning. And if you want to come and relight your fire this morning, just come to this altar. Just step out of where you are and come right now. Let's relight the fire of God in our lives again. Let's relight. Let's relight. Let's have He's standing in the midst of His candlestick. He's standing in the midst of the church. Let's relight the fires of God in our lives again. Come down here and spread out this morning. Let's find the place and begin to let God relight the fire of God in our lives again. I'm telling you, he's in the midst of the candlesticks. He's in the midst of the church. He's here with us. He is in the midst of us. He is among us. He's around us. He's by us. He's here. He's lit. He's here. 
I'm telling you, the church age is about the end. This is it. We're right here. We're just one moment. We're any time away from right here where we go up and the rapture of the church comes. We're hours. We could be days away. We could be hours away from the return of the Lord. Are you lukewarm this morning? Is there fire that's not burning in your life this morning? Has your worship been indifferent this morning? Has your prayer life been indifferent? Has your scripture reading been indifferent? Have your soul winning been indifferent this morning? Jesus says, I knock at the door. I knock. Open up. Let him dine with us this morning. Let him dine with us this morning. This is a meal that we eat before the darkness falls and the darkest hour comes. I'm here to tell you it was a warning to the church. It was a warning. There's warning after warning after warning. I'm telling you, the reason why churches are not standing up in this hour is because there's been filled with full of lukewarmness. We've lost our passion. Yeah, we're not perfect, but we've lost our passion. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you led a person to Jesus? When was the last time you led a soul to Christ and you brought them out of the kingdom of darkness into into his marvelous light? When was the last time you won a soul? When was the last time you shared Jesus with fervor? When was the last time? Let me tell you what's happening. He comes in and the candelabras that are not burning, he blows them out. Five churches were blown because they lost their oil and he had to clean them. There's a cleaning that needs to take place so that, the, so that when the doors open, when the worship opens, again, the obras will be clean and burning with fire and light. Hallelujah. I feel this this morning. I feel this for my own life. I don't know, you may not feel it, but I feel it for my own life. He told the church at Ephesus, he says, you've left your first love. I don't believe the church didn't stop loving God. They left this first love. How many of y'all know what first love is? When I was on my honeymoon, got married, that was first love. Right? That's first love. That's, that's, that's you know, that's first love. I remember being on our honeymoon. And, uh, you know, you don't ever want to lose the honey in your honeymoon. Same way with your walk with God. When I got saved, it was sweet. There were boys and my guys that I grew up with. It was a bunch of us that got saved one after the other, after the other, after the other. There was a passion that came in us. We began to preach on the street and hold tent meetings and begin to do things. And it was a fire that was in me that I woke up. I went to bed thinking about Jesus. Woke up thinking about Jesus. Still have our earthly duties, but... We, we still, it was a passion that entered into our life. And I thought to myself this week, I've lost some of that. I lost some of the fervor that I had in my first love. I remember being on my honeymoon and we were eating dinner and I took honey and put it on my lips and I kissed my wife. She liked it. I was at another meal and I put hot sauce on my lips. No, I didn't. You don't ever want to lose the honey in your spiritual honeymoon. You don't ever want to lose the honey. And some of us have lost the honey. I'm telling you, we had neighborhoods get saved. I had neighbors get saved. 
I came home one night. I'd been preaching on the street. My next door neighbor was holding a party. I mean, there was like 30 or 40 kids we went to high school with. It was a big old party. I mean, they were partying out. And had not been for Jesus, I'd been there. But I had a conversation with my neighbor a couple days earlier, weeks earlier. He said, you know, I'm trying to live for God. He said, I know what, Shane. He said, I'll tell you what. If you will help me live for Jesus, I'll do my best. I said, he said, I give you permission. Anytime you want to you just tell me or just kind of let me know I'm doing wrong, that'll be good. And I'm going to try to live for God. I'm, I said, well, you want to get saved? He's like, well, I don't know if I want to do that right now, but I want to try to live a good life. He said, but you can come and tell me anytime I'm wrong. I want you to help me. His name was Bobby Carpenter. He lived next door to me. I came home one night, I was preaching, had been preaching on the street, and there was like, I mean, the house was full of people. And I'd been saved probably about a, six months, a year. All my friends knew I was born again. I carried me a big old King James Bible. It was NIV, actually. Carried me a big Bible with me. I pulled into the driveway, and they all just kind of watched me as I pulled in because I lived next door to him. They all just kind of, it was just like, a, just like a watch. They all watched me pull in. They looked at each other and thought, he's home. And so I'm sitting in my car and I'm thinking, you know, he told me. He said at any time he was doing wrong and I could come and correct him, that he would not care if I would do that. That's what he told me. That's what he said. I didn't do anything he didn't ask me to do. I said, you know what? I'm going to go over there and I'm just going to start sharing Jesus with my friends. So I got my Bible. I got out of my car, my little Ford Escort that I had. I walked across the street. I walked into the gate, walked in, and the people are partying. They're drinking. They're partying. They're having fun. I got my Bible, and I walked right into the house, and I walked into the house, and he was sitting at a card table with five guys. They were playing a game called quarters. I don't know if you all know what that game is. It's where you take a quarter, you bounce it into a glass, and if, if, if you make it, you got to drink it. I don't know if you all played those games. I did. But they were playing quarters, and he's sitting there, and he's seeing me. I'm standing there with my Bible right in front of all of them. And this is the first thing he said to me. He said, I don't know anywhere in the Bible where it says drinking is a sin. I said, Bobby, I didn't say a word, man. I said, I just came over just to, to visit with you. And everybody started scattering. They were leaving. They were jumping fences. They were running out of the house. Because I was opening my Bible, and I was just going to share Jesus. And I pulled up a chair at that table. And, and listen, I led five of my friends to Jesus around the table that night. <laughs> Only two of them still live for God, but heck. Right? Listen. Listen. There was a fervent in me. Because I knew that they could leave that party and die and go to hell if they left there not knowing Christ. There was an urgency. I could have gone in and watched ESPN. I could have gone in and kept to myself. But, I had, but there was a fire, a love that was in me for those that I grew up with, those I was around that needed to know Jesus. Now, not everybody's going to receive it. But listen, there's a fire that's got to come back into the church. And an urgency. And I'm going to pray this morning if that fire comes on you. Some of you got saved miraculously. Some of you got saved with couples and clusters of people. Some of you got saved in the Jesus movement. Some of you got saved out of revival in your own household. Somebody invited you to church and you got saved. And all of a sudden, everybody in your family started getting saved. How many know Jesus saves households? I said Jesus saves households.
your whole house will be saved. I said your whole house is going to be saved. Your children, your grandchildren, they're going to be saved. They're going to serve God. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.